Hello church family, my name is Jorge Murguia and I'm coming to you from San Diego. Today's teaching is 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21. And I'll be saying it to you in Spanish. No les escribo esto para avergonzarlos, sino para amonestarlos como a hijos míos amados. De hecho, aunque tuvieran ustedes miles de tutores en Cristo, padres no tienen muchos, porque mediante el Evangelio yo fui el Padre que los engendró en Cristo Jesús. Por tanto, les ruego que sigan mi ejemplo. Con este propósito les envié a Timoteo, mi amado y fiel hijo en el Señor. Él les recordará mi manera de comportarme en Cristo Jesús, como enseño por todas partes y en todas las iglesias. Ahora bien, algunos de ustedes se han vuelto presuntuosos, pensando que no iré a verlos. Lo cierto es que, si Dios quiere, iré a visitarlos muy pronto. Y ya veremos no solo cómo hablan, sino cuánto poder tienen esos presumidos. Porque el reino de Dios no es cuestión de palabras, sino de poder. ¿Qué prefieren? ¿Que vaya a verlos con un látigo o con amor y espíritu apacible? Palabra de Dios. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, our last, for the foreseeable future, our last online-only worship gathering. If you're with us for the first time or visiting uh, from a distance or whatever, welcome. Um, my name is Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church alongside a fantastic team, uh, some of which you've heard from already. Um, and it is so good. Personally, it's so good to be back. Uh, my family and I, we went on vacation the last three weeks and we're refreshed and recharged and ready to hit the fall uh, running with you guys. Um, so today we're diving back into 1 Corinthians. We are a church committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. Uh, why? Because we believe that by doing that, by the power of the Spirit, practicing the way of Jesus, we will see Jesus's prayer realized uh, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in San Diego as it is in heaven. We are committed to Jesus's vision for the world. Uh, obviously not as committed as Jesus is because Jesus is the only true king who can die for the sin of the world and then come back and make everything right again. But until then, we have the power of Jesus in our church, in us individually, to propel us forward with his love toward God and toward one another to see Jesus's mission accomplished. And so we're coming back to Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians now, where Paul wants Jesus's mission to be accomplished through this little church in the big city. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between ancient Corinth and modern San Diego, a lot of similar values. And we're going to see that as we dive back into this letter. Uh, back in first quarter, 2020, you guys remember that? Are you with me? January through March, it's like a decade ago now. But we started 1 Corinthians then, and we went through chapters 1 through 3 and into 4 a little bit. So today we're just recapping that. Not only recapping that, I'm also pointing forward uh, to next week. Um, so you already heard Jorge read uh, the text that we're going to end on today. You hear that? So we're going to end in chapter four. Uh, right now, we're gonna do a 30,000 foot flyover of chapters one through three. You ready? It's gonna go quick. Let's, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now to renew our minds by the washing of the water of the word in us. Show us your heart for us and your church and your world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, Paul opens up this letter Remember, identifying himself and his authority. So on the screen, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So right off the bat, Paul establishes his authority 
as an apostle or a, a sent one of Jesus. Jesus sent Paul uniquely. And this is important to keep in mind for the rest of this letter because in the New Testament, apostles are people sent by Jesus, which is a two-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin of authority. So true spiritual authority, remember this. Uh, on one side of the coin, you have, you have accountability to Jesus. So Paul is fully accountable to his master. But flip the coin over and, and you see the authority from Jesus. And, and Paul comes to us with the authority of Jesus. Throughout this letter, Paul is going to address all these controversial issues, like how to deal with sin in the church, what sex is for, and clearing up confusion about marriage and singleness and gender, like all easy topics, right? So, and as Paul writes this letter, Paul is placing his own authority on par with Jesus's. That's what it means to be one of the apostles who wrote the Bible, okay? Parts of the Bible, uh, specifically the New Testament. And, and so, then 10 verses in, Paul gets to the main problem he wants to address for the first four chapters. And it's, it's this, dealing with division in the church. Dealing with division in the church. This is the main fish Paul is trying to fry for the whole first quarter of this letter, chapters one through four. And he says it this way, I beg you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought, okay? Now this was written in Greek. In the original Greek, that word division was the ancient word for like, rival political parties, tribes that war against each other. Uh, Paul's like, don't let anything break you up into little teams against each other, except for team gospel, okay? Team gospel of King Jesus. That is the only team we will die for as the body of Christ. Uh, as followers of Jesus, that means we do not let other loyalties or allegiances or politics divide you. The world can rage on about those things. We're, we're to expect that. The world will do what the world will do. Uh, but here in the family of God, in God's house, all of that is secondary to the gospel announcement that Jesus is the true king of the world and his people obey him with their lives. Paul's like, Jesus followers, if you're a Jesus follower, you should expect opposition from outside. That's normal. Jesus said, uh, in the world, you'll have trouble. Uh, expect it. We should expect that, and it shouldn't surprise us. Um, but when it comes to opposition from within, Paul's like, over my dead body, not on my watch. That will not take place in this house. And Paul holds up the coin of his authority. He's like, I'm sent by Jesus. Uh, I am accountable to him and I carry his authority to you. So listen, you will not divide over anything except the gospel of Jesus in this house, not on my watch. And that's what he's doing for these first four chapters. And so can we hear that Park Hill, Park Hill Church? We are, you know, this is timely, obviously, in this year of anxiety and division. And so listen to Paul. I beg you, Park Hill Church, to channel Paul here in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of all that is good and holy and true, that you agree with one another in everything you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's how important Paul sees the gospel of Jesus. It encompasses everything we say. Sounds great, Paul. Um, sounds like a tall order, though. There's a lot to disagree about, right? So how do we do this? Remember from earlier this year, when Paul, when he calls us to unity, he's not calling us to uniformity. Like he's not saying we have to share the same exact opinion on every issue. Unity, on the other hand, it means once everyone's had their say, at the end of the day, um, we are committed, we're family. We're committed to one another. 
and we're committed to the good news of Jesus, uh, despite all our secondary agreements. And church, I actually think we do a good job at this. Park Hill, for the last six months, there's been plenty to get bent out of shape over. And a lot of the conversations, a lot of the disagreements in Park Hill, whether it's about how to deal with race or uh, how to respond to government guidelines on everything and masks and gatherings. There's been great questions, open, honest dialogue. But at the end of the day, there's been like 99% unity in our conversations. There's always gonna be that 1% that's, that's troubling, but it's been beautiful to see. So I wanna say well done, church, for the unifying approach to this pandemic. It's beautiful to watch. And I can't wait to see some of the fruit of that unity next week when we're actually together, um, cannot wait. So, uh, but moving forward, so September is here and then October and then like November and then 2021, who knows what that'll look like? How do we stay united? This is what Paul is after. This is what we're after. I realize many of us have been affected by the pandemic, but I think it's fair to say all of us, the majority have felt the effects of a different pandemic. And it's this disease of division that's always bubbling at the surface, ready to come out in any of us. And so for the first four chapters, that's what Paul's doing. And he's, and he's addressing the disease of division by giving four antidotes to the disease. So there's a metaphor there, obviously. But it's true. These four chapters are four cures that Paul gives us, the church, to treat the, the, the disease of division that's always threatening gospel unity in the church. And so here's the first antidote. We're still flying over these chapters. Antidote one, how to deal with the disease of division, consistently focus on the cross of Christ. This is Paul's first antidote. And he comes out of the gate in verse 18, chapter one, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, you can see air quotes there with Paul, the intelligence of the intelligent, I'll frustrate them. Um, so throughout this section, Paul's basic argument is that the wisdom of the cross appears silly to worldly instinct. It's that instinct that puts ultimate value on status or wealth or becoming an influencer. That's our instinct. And, 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 and that worldly instinct, it doesn't know what to do with a crucified king. We worship a crucified and laughed at and spit on God-man. And in reality, Jesus, this crucified king who willingly forgave his killers as they were murdering him, that crucified king is the true source of all eternal power. He has the ultimate status as God. And, and, and so God's power and influence, actually, when you look at the cross, you find out God's, God's influence transforms the world through Christ-like forgiveness and weakness not through status and strength. And when we understand this, all our fighting and politicking and all of that, it starts to look pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Back in December, four scientists from the University of Central Florida, they got together, four brilliant people got together and did this elaborate study on social media influence. And it turns out the science is in, the more divisive you are, the more influential you'll likely be. <laughs> As if we needed like scientists for that. But, uh, but it's true. Like I could send you the article if you want it. Um, if you email me this, this week. Uh, and so, so the wisdom of the cross turns all of that on its head by consistently focusing on the God who became human, laying aside the perks of glory so that he could become mocked and shamed and absorb our sin into himself. Meanwhile, forgiving enemies, foolishness to the world, but the source of eternal power, the source of eternal power from heaven. Um, this is the first antidote to our division. This is the first cure for the disease of infighting in the church is to consistently focus on that Jesus on the cross. 
This is why, you guys, this is why we do communion every week. Not every church does, uh, and that's okay. But this is why we as Park Hill follow in the tradition of many churches that eat and drink the body and blood, the death of the God-man to remind ourselves in our bones, in our guts, that we have a crucified king we worship and he calls us to crucified life. In our, in our culture, we're an information overload and we forget things all the time. I listen to way too many podcasts and I forget what I heard 30 seconds ago. I have to rewind it constantly because my brain is just uh, ADD brain. And so we need to come back every week and remind ourselves with a quiet meal that it's a cross-shaped life that holds all the power of heaven. Uh, so that's the first antidote to division. We're gonna, need the, we're gonna need these antidotes, okay? And so this brings us to the second cure, the second antidote. In chapter two, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul calls us to realize that we have access to God's mind through the spirit. Why is this an antidote? Look at the verse uh, of chapter two, verse nine and 10. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by the spirit. So this second antidote for division, it supports the first. We consistently look at the cross, but we have a helper. We can't just look at the cross and transform ourselves. We have a helper who actually somehow in the mystical realm of God connects us to God's own mind and gives us the power of God, brings us into life in God. This is a mystery, you guys. I don't even understand it all the way. Jesus just talked about it a lot, okay? As a baptized believer in the crucified king, if you are a baptized believer, then you have access to God's mind through the power of the spirit. And to make this point, Paul quotes from Isaiah 40. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to teach God? Like who has known the mind of the Lord? That's the ancient prophet. And Paul brings that ancient verse into the now. And he says, we have the mind of the Lord. He answers it. He's like, that's you and I. Those who are in the spirit, children of God, we have the mind of Christ. We have access to the power, the very mind of God to empower us to live unified, okay? Uh, uh, it's a mystery, you guys. The writers who wrote things for 2,000 years about Jesus in church history, one of the most mysterious and powerful things that all of them seemed to be obsessed with was this idea of union with Christ. Mystical union with Christ. One thing we say around here, I love to say it as often as I can, salvation is union with the son so that we share the son's own relationship with the father through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be saved. Forgiveness of sin is in there. Getting rid of shame and being honored as a child of God is all in there. It's all wrapped up in there. But the substance of being saved is God plucking us out of our own just depravity and sin and lostness and uniting us with his own beloved son so that we share the son's special relationship with the father through the spirit. And Paul says, through that union, we have the mind of Christ. We don't need to divide. We're united with God and therefore united to each other. That's the most important thing in the universe. No exaggeration. Everything else dissolves. So how do we remind ourselves of our union with Christ? Well, this is where we practice the way of Jesus. This is the disciplines. This is why we spent seven weeks after Easter practicing resurrection during this virus. This is why we reminded ourselves of listening prayer and Lectio Divina, scripture meditation, and all kinds of practices so that we can be reminded uh, that we share Christ's relationship with his father by the Holy Spirit. That's an antidote to division. Jesus said it this way, John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I made known to you. It's intimacy. Uh, 
And through that intimacy, we get God's own knowledge. It's mysterious, it's, it's powerful. So realize that, you guys. Practice the way of Jesus, pray, fast, community, all of these things are to live into who we already are. United with Christ, we just need reminders because we forget. So, and then in, in chapter three, we get Paul's third antidote for division. These are all building on each other. And it's number three, recognize how puny and insignificant all our differences are from God's view. This is very practical. This is very practical. Recognize how insignificant our differences are from God's view. And he, and he says here, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, he's like, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. He's like, why are you dividing over celebrities and leaders and factioning out into tribes? Who are these people anyway? They're just servants exactly like you. Um, God looks down, picture like the moon and then the earth from the moon. So here on the earth, we see buildings and we see high rises and the wealthy people at the top and the poor at the bottom and we rank ourselves and we compare and contrast ourselves. But imagine a view of the earth from the moon and it, it appears extremely flat. This is, this is a metaphor for how God views human, human affairs, okay? Um, it is flattened at his feet. God looks down on the ways we rank ourselves and it's all um, just this world he so loves from his perspective. And Paul brings this home with a Jewish, a delightful Jewish metaphor of a temple, okay? He says, don't you know that you're God's temple? So the earth is kind of like God's temple. He wants to live in it with us. He looks down at it, it's all flat and it's beautiful and he wants to be with his creation. Don't you know that you are that temple? You are that temple. God looks down at his building and he doesn't see more worthy stones than other stones in this temple. We're all equally loved. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone, and listen to this, listen to God's jealousy here. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. God's like, you are sacred. Like what Dr. Lu Wing talked about a couple weeks ago. You are holy. You are devoted to God. God's like, you are mine. I have a purpose for you. You are a chosen, special, particular people and you are mine. I'm gonna live in you and live with you. Do not tear down my building. If you tear down my building, God says, I'll bring you down. Did you hear that? This is God's jealousy for his church. God is jealous. Do you ever think about that during this time of angst and division? And when you look on social media or you hear you know, Christians in politics and just getting at each other's throats, um, God is jealous for the unity of his people. So I just wanna say very practically, just like Paul is, you guys, please be kind. <laughs> like be kind out there. Um, a little undeserved love goes so far in helping to build this home, this, this temple for God to live in. Small undeserved interactions go a long way. God wants a dwelling place and he will not tolerate his dwelling place being torn down. It's really easy to tear down the church with our words. Um, especially if you've experienced genuine hurt within the church. And there are times for calling out sinful authority. And we're gonna talk about that at the end of this teaching. Um, but there are proper ways to address sinful authority in the church. There's proper ways. Uh, and, and there are improper, false-hearted ways, which aren't interested in reconstructing the true temple, but only deconstructing the temple that is. And God's not gonna to tolerate it through Paul. God's authority comes to us and says, I'm not gonna to tolerate building um, uh, people that tear down my temple. I, I remember sitting in a, a seminary class in Portland. I didn't even think of this until right now. Um, I was listening to a church planter in a class on 
church and the mission of God. And he, and he talked about, it was when I was really passionate to plant a church back in San Diego. I was in Portland at the time. And he's like, I'm gonna give you the number one don't of church planting. Here's the number one don't. And I was like, I had my pen ready. And he's like, don't plant a church because you think you're gonna get it right when everyone else got it wrong. You could, you could apply that to any, any kingdom work. Don't do that kingdom work because you're gonna get it right where they got it wrong. Um, because you are creating a culture of backstabbers who eventually, once they're brought to maturity like you, will stab, stab you and then go, get it, go make it right where you got it wrong in their mind. Um, and, and he said, the biggest, the biggest blasphemy in this way of thinking is that basically you're giving the middle finger to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you suck at building your church. I'm gonna go do it over here. Um, and, and so I wanna stress again that there are absolutely plenty of bad examples of authority, but those poor examples only make the real thing all the sweeter, you guys. And Paul's coming to us with the real thing. And he's saying, uh, God is interested in his building being built, not torn down. And so do whatever it takes during the season of division to lean into reconstructing the household of God, not deconstructing it. It's too, cynicism is, is too easy. You can't just stop there. And so Paul finishes chapter three, like, so then stop boasting <laughs> about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Apollos or Peter, that's Cephas, or Paul, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All of it is yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So Paul is wrapping up his argument now, you guys. He's coming to the end. And he's like, there's no need to divide over leaders or political factions or anything other than the good news that Jesus is king. Why? Because Paul's saying, in Christ, united with Christ, now all is yours because all belongs to Christ. So whether it's Peter or Paul or, or the world or life or death or present, it's all yours, all of it. This is a shocking comfort, you guys. Um, Paul says it's so quick, you almost miss it. Uh, but the stuff that divides us suddenly seems so insignificant when you realize all things are yours. Meaning, meaning, I know that's a big concept, but to bring clarity, there is a day coming when the whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of God, as the prophets say. Jesus will come back, heal everything that is broken, and give all of us who are in Christ new bodies, just like Jesus' resurrected body, and we will rule and reign alongside Jesus, and the whole earth literally will be ours. Literally. This is not a metaphor. And so in light of that future hope, Paul says right now our future hope is settled and everything around us is moving towards it, which means everything around us is ours. This is his logic. Rooted in the hope of future promises, all things now are ours. How could that be? Well, he says life and death are all working for our good because we are in Christ and God is good. Ah, it's, a, it's, almost too, it's almost too big to grasp a hold of and Paul just kind of breezes over it without explaining himself, but it's so comforting. So we can, we can, basically, we can basically rest. If this pandemic season or this election cycle has you feeling out of control, so that you're tempted to attach yourself to this or that political party that divides you from other Christians, guess what? Don't do it. You don't need to. Because all things are yours. Democrat, Republican, it's all yours. <laughs> all of it is working for your good. If you're feeling insecure about your abilities and your job and you're insecure or you're, and you're tempted to attach yourself to someone more popular or more esteemed or more secure, don't do it. You don't have to because all things are yours and God is working through all of your wiring and all of your environment for your good. If you're feeling, uh, you look at social media 
the world of influencers and you're tempted to attach yourself to some group that's more prominent or admired, don't do it. You don't need to. All things are yours. When that craving for significance tempts you to go get secondhand worth by, by linking up with someone against others or whatever, that Twitter guru or that whatever, don't do it. You don't need to because all things are yours. All God's children have equal access to the blessings of the Father. All of us, all our freedom and all our significance from God, it is unlimited. God has limitless resources of blessing and significance and freedom for you today. It's not like there's only so much to go around, like he only has, he only has 24 trillion units of blessing. It's not like the economy of earth. Um, under the authority of Christ, all things are yours. So we can stop fighting each other for free, our freedoms and our significance and our rights. And we can see what, we can see American freedom for what it is. American freedom is this, it's freedom from authority for independence, right? In American vernacular, freedom is from authority for autonomy. But in Christ, we get a, we get a fresh freedom. We get the real freedom, which is not freedom from authority for autonomy, but it's freedom from sin for perfect relationship with God and others. It's not about, at that point, our rights take a back seat and our quest for significance takes a back seat at that point. We're free from sin for loving relationship. And then division dissolves, you guys. This is the antidote. As a child of God, you're under a new authority where all things are yours, whether you're in America or Sudan or North Korea or Afghanistan or the UK or Hawaii, it is all the same for those who are in Christ. And that puts everything into perspective. Right, like, doesn't it? Are you with me? I cannot tell. I like want to knock on the, I want to knock on the camera. I can't wait for next week. But um, <clears throat> 2020 is next level, you guys. 2020 is next level hard, for sure. But 2020 and all of its junk is a blip on eternity's timeline. We can rest in Jesus today. And we can be faithful today. And we can learn what Paul meant by saying, whatever state I'm in, I've learned contentment. Because followers of Jesus can say and can live in the knowledge, all things are ours. Which brings us to our last stop for the day, chapter four, Paul's fourth antidote. Are you ready for this? Full circle, you'll see why. His antidote is recognize and respond to true spiritual authority in your life. He says in chapter four, verse one, he says, this then is how you ought to regard us. Paul was their authority. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. There's that double-sided coin, right? Of, of authority. Um, Paul on one side, he's been, he's accountable to Jesus as a good spiritual true leader, authority over them. And on the other side of the coin, he carries authority from Jesus. He's accountable to Jesus. At any moment, Jesus can remove him from his post. And he's submitted to that. And at the same time, he carries the authority from Jesus over this little church in Corinth. And so Paul's like, do you want to get rid of division in your life? Do you want to be unified in a time of just fighting and upheaval, well then learn to recognize and respond to true spiritual authority in your life. And Paul goes through a list of things, you can read it on your own in the chapter, a list of things that uh, characterize genuine godly authority. Verses one through five, they're faithful stewards, meaning they acknowledge their own master. They're not their own masters, they acknowledge their master. And they follow the scriptures, true spiritual authority, relentlessly submits to the Bible. 
And true spiritual authority should expect to suffer, something that Americans are not as used to as the rest of the church in history. That's verses eight through 13. Paul's like, suffering's part of the deal and I embrace it and I praise God for my suffering. I am so far from that mindset. We have it so easy in America relative to church history. And, and, uh, and then finally, this is where I wanna land. Finally, true spiritual leaders should be able to say, verse 14 through 21, basically, they should be able to say, you wanna know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Well, watch me. True spiritual leaders with God's anointing and covering in humility should be able to say, hey, you wanna know what it looks like to do the Jesus way? Well, then be with me 24-7. Watch me repent. Watch me treat my wife like a jerk and then come back and repent and restore that relationship in humility. Watch how I deal with that, my own junk. Watch how I treat my kids. Watch me seek forgiveness and then forgive others when I'm unjustly treated. Watch me. That's what spiritual authority is called to do. And Paul says it this way. This is the passage Jorge read in Spanish. Here it is in English. Uh, He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, and here it is, therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son who I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church, every church. And some of you have become arrogant as if I weren't coming. And here Paul kind of turns up the heat like a good father, he turns up the heat. He's like, some of you are arrogant as if I'm not coming, Um, but I will come, verse 19, very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit. Paul takes the gloves off as a good father, um, metaphorically, and he's like, are are you gonna respond to to my God-given authority in humility or in arrogance? Because that will end one of two ways for you, is what he says. This is Paul teaching us to, to recognize and respond to genuine spiritual authority in our lives. And remember, he's like, if you need an example, watch my life. To some of us, that could seem arrogant. Like, just watch my life, keep your eyes on me. But because of everything else that's in place in Paul's life, the suffering and the service and the obedience to Jesus, you only need to watch Paul for a few moments to see that this is not motivated by arrogance, but complete accountability to the master who tells him to go to this church. And and then he says, until I come to you, I've sent Timothy as a pastor for you. And so this pastor is gonna basically do what I would do if I were there. And he would say, watch me, watch my life. He's faithful in the Jesus way. He's faithful to the teachings of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And, and then, and Paul says, basically, please be obedient to these teachings that you see through your leaders and that you hear through your teachers. Please be obedient to these things. Because when I come to you, what do you want? A, that I come rejoicing over you, or B, that I come with a rod of discipline, to use his words. And, and for me, that's like an obvious choice. I'd rather have Paul come and we have a great hang, you know? We have a great hang and he's a spirit of gentleness and we throw a party. And so the backstory here is that basically some people in the church thought Paul was arrogant. <clears throat> and so they did not recognize his authority. And so Paul says, hey, it looks like I better come to you with a rod of discipline. Fast forward, in the second letter to Corinth, we find out that he does do that. Corinth doesn't respond the way Paul is commanding them to. And, and I say all that to say this, as we, as we begin to wrap up, um, 
How do you respond to spiritual authority in your life? How will you respond to 1 Corinthians? This letter, Paul's writing for us. Um, He wrote it to Corinth, but it's for every church. The question is, what's it gonna be? September 6th, our last online gathering only. And the next week we do online and in person. Who knows what this next season will bring as a church? What's it gonna be? Acknowledge God's authority through this book, 1 Corinthians, and enjoy loving relationship with God through that submission. Or ignore spiritual authority, ignore your church leaders, ignore the scriptures, ignore what the spirit is speaking to through your community. And in Paul's words, become arrogant and invite discipline. Which is it gonna be for all of us? This is a a gut check moment as we step into new territory in 1 Corinthians next week. I don't know about you, I want to enjoy loving relationship with God and others. So what does this look like? Well, here's here's where we're at as leaders, church family, excuse me, kind of froggy. So here it is, a perfect time to cough. As we step into this next season, we urge, to use Paul's words, we urge you to listen to voices that God has raised up around you and has put in your life and to place yourself of your own free will under spiritual authority. That's the call. This is gonna feel like a change, like a chapter break in the life of America as we all move back into the public out of quarantine or whatever. And it's kind of like an opportunity to hit the reset on all things, including our relationship with God if we need to. And so uh, the, the call is to put yourself of your own free will under spiritual authority God puts over you. And, and to realize that that spiritual authority is for your good. It's for your good. And I know, you know, talking about authority isn't super like sexy and fun, but I love it. One of the reasons why I love talking about spiritual authority is because of how submission to spiritual authority has shaped my life and has guided me very clearly. Uh, I would not be here today if it were not for um, older, wiser, and also just younger, wiser people around me um, who were able to prod me from my own plans, to move me away from whatever I want. Spiritual authority, particularly elders, elders over me in the church have time and time again led me into God's plan, away from my own will at every single turn and into God's plan for my life. Um, As followers of Jesus, you guys, this is so vital. It's Paul's fourth and final antidote. In the next chapter, he moves on from the topic of division and starts dealing with hardcore issues. But in this final moment, this is the call uh, that we would discover God's agenda for our lives as opposed to simply our own agenda through submission. Submission to authority, spiritual authority. And contrary to popular opinion, submission to spiritual authority is actually the way to true freedom. And I know that's so counterintuitive to the way our culture naturally thinks about authority. Again, remember, in American culture, American freedom means freedom from authority for autonomy. I can do whatever I want. That's the American definition of freedom, so far from the Christian definition of freedom, which is freedom from my own sin for loving relationship. Freedom from the bondage of my own fighting for my rights for the interests of others, Philippians 2, for loving relationship. And the only way to get there is through submission to the scriptures, to the community of the spirit, to elders in your local church, people God has placed in your lives. And so really, as we wrap up, the question I want all of us to wrestle with is this, and I know it's no fun. If, if there's triggers happening, I want to acknowledge that and say there's reasons for those things. And I absolutely want to talk that through as a church. And I know this is not fun to ask, but it's so life-giving. Um, are you under spiritual authority? And if so, whose authority? 
gods? This isn't me asking you to believe in God. I'm not asking if you believe in God. I'm asking if your life rhythms are submitted to God's authority. Are you like Paul who says in verse 19, if the Lord is willing? Or are you like, okay, God, here's my plan. Here's my agenda. Here's what I'm doing with my life. Okay, God, come bless it. Holy Spirit, come on this. I want you to bless what I'm doing. Is that more like what it's like? So, so God wants us to see life the other way around. Like, God, what's your agenda? What's your will for this aspect of my life? How do you want me to handle my finances, my relationships, my worship, my serving, my job? And what might the Spirit say through my community about all these things? What does my community leader think about this decision? How do I bless you, God, and submit this to you? Are you under God's authority? Are you under the Scripture's authority? When you read the Scriptures... When you read the Bible and you think a certain way and the Bible says the other way, one of you is wrong. (laughs) What do you do with that? We're gonna come to several controversial moments in 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks on all kinds of things and what's it gonna be? My will or submission to the scriptures? Are you under spiritual authority? And again, one of the levels of this is elders, elders at Park Hill Church. So for example, For example, guys, um, the elders of the church, like Sandy and myself, Matt and Aaliyah Persley, Matthew and Elodie Ruffay, the elders are asking every single one of you to commit to a Park Hill community. This is a huge prayer we have for our church as we move into the fall and 2021. We don't have church membership per se. Instead, for the past two and a half years, as long as we've been a church, we've been calling everyone in our church to commit to community. So, if, so therefore, if you're not in a Park Hill community, then you're not recognizing and responding to spiritual authority God has put over you. Plain and simple. And by the way, the elders also submit to authority, Christ's authority through our board of directors who are older, wiser fathers and mothers in the faith that make sure we are budgeting and hiring and all of these things in a way that is wise and biblical. But it's not just elders, you guys. On another, it's, that's one level. There are so many where it can also be your community leader or someone else close to you who loves you, God has placed in your life. Authority is not about like who's bossing you around, not at all. It's all about who's speaking God's reality into your life and are you listening? And so the invitation today, maybe you've been abused by authority, spiritual authority. And you've been truly burned. If you've received genuine spiritual abuse where people with religious authority misused, misused their position of power to control or dominate you in order to get some type of significance as leaders, um, that's it's more common than we, than we typically think about. If you've experienced that, then I wanna say I'm deeply sorry That is so damaging. Let this be a community where you can voice that and find healing as God builds his temple through Park Hill. And and the invitation to you is to reclaim your innocence and learn to trust again. Learn to trust in the family of Jesus and find healing in the presence of God. And maybe you're watching this and you're you're not necessarily wounded, but you are running (laughs) you're running from spiritual authority. And I know this isn't a popular thing to talk about. Some of you might be watching this and you've left some other church because you say, you say they burned you, but really they love you and exercise spiritual authority of, over you and you ran away. And you're trying to start fresh here because we don't know your story yet or whatever. Or you're, you, know, you get to watch from home, I don't know. Uh, for you, the invitation might be to go back and repent and reconcile, maybe, I don't know. Make things right and rejoin and rebuild the community you're a part of. But for most of us, you guys, we're coming to the table. Uh, 95% of us are neither wounded or running or anything. We're just like good Americans. And we're like, spiritual, what? Like, a th- a th- what is this even like? No, I appreciate the advice, but I'm my own standard. Thank you very much. Like, I pick and choose what's right. 
I have a plan. I'm the captain of my ship. I mean, I love Jesus a lot, as long as we're talking about my own personal Jesus that I wake up by myself to, not the Jesus who commanded his followers to live in sacrificial community and commit to fasting, prayer, and generosity, and the Jesus who holds his people accountable to like check in on each other if they're following the Jesus way well. So that was obviously sarcasm. I apologize for that, but not really sorry, because the way of Jesus is so different. The way of Jesus is so different. Different authority. Remember, it's not about who's bossing you around. So let's get all the bad pictures of bad authority out of our minds. The goal of true spiritual authority. Paul, you've had many teachers, but not many fathers. The goal of that is to live under and stay under the goodness of Jesus and be reminded of the cross and be reminded of our union with Christ and be reminded that from God's perspective, we are all in equal need, level need of his grace, partnership with the spirit. So let's, let's, let's take Paul's antidotes for division and submit in this year as 2020 wraps up in the coming months and submit to who, who God calls Park Hill to be and, and what your part is in committing to the vision of this church, which we as elders are praying constantly aligns fully with the vision of Jesus. And, and would you uh, join community and be a part of what God is doing on Sundays when we gather and just uh, be a prayerful presence. We still have prayer meetings too that we're calling the whole church to as well. So church, we're gonna to come to the table now, which is the way we remind ourselves of the cross. And let's just, as we do, let's just consider where am I unsubmitted to the authority of Jesus in my life? And so we're gonna have a 30 second turnover right now where we just invite the spirit, whether you're at home or in your car listening or listening later on a podcast or something, uh, just pause. Who? Is God calling you uh, to submit to, whether it's church leadership or maybe God has spoken through the scriptures and you're not under that authority yet, God is calling you in. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll be quiet for 30 seconds and then we'll sing, Heavenly Father, meet us here, be with us as we cry out to you once again. Come and take your place, we exalt you. We're gonna sing that, we exalt you. That means you are the only authority and you choose to mediate your authority through scripture and leaders and prophecy and gifts and all kinds of stuff. We want to submit to you, God. So let's ask the spirit, where am I unsubmitted to you?